Shout out to Copyright Free News on YouTube. Welcome back to The Last Call Part 2. Just to take the listeners behind the curtain, we record this all in one go. <laughs> but we think a two and a half hour podcast is just a little much for everyone's ears. I mean, it's a little much for my voice box, if we're honest, but got to push through when you got to push through, I guess. Mate, when we're on the beers, I could go for hours. That's <laughs> a good point. The last call brought to you by Canadian Club and Dry and Fat Yak. Tilda Bay Fat Yak. It's a nice drop, the Fat Yak. It is a nice drop. I've been on the old mates recently, but um, got to expand the palate. The old mates? Where's yeah. old mates? Yeah, last week, Moondog Old Mate. Yeah. Sponsored last week's podcast. <laughs> I'll take your word for it. I had an exam that day. I don't very much remember. Yeah, that's fair enough. All right, we're going to jump straight into it. I've got a new segment, um, which I just briefed Ash on, but we're going to go into worldwide news. <laughs> this thing's very loud. That wasn't even full volume. Wow. So would you like to let the listeners in on why this segment has appeared? Well, funnily enough, we have um, not that many listeners. We average about four an episode, but 22, um, actually let's add them up. 36% of the listeners are from either the UK or the US. So 36% of our quote-unquote fan base, is international. Yeah, fan base is very, very much in air quotes. It is a very generous term for what uh, we have around here. I would class it as accidental listenership. (laughs) They were looking for the last call, a podcast about drinking. And then they listen to this shit and they're like, ah, what the fuck is that? This isn't a podcast about drinking. It's a podcast while drinking. Yeah, and you need to be drinking this podcast. That's true. It's a podcast, ironically enough, not to listen to at last call because you will need another beer. Yeah, that's also very true. All right. Worldwide news. Um, As you know, Europe has been uh, getting dicked down by coronavirus. Now, uh, so this is a bit of soccer. UEFA has still decided to start, um, play friendlies and their Nations League tournament and their qualifiers for the Euros. Um, but in a match between Croatia and Turkey, there was a positive result for Croatia centre-back Domagoj Vida at halftime. So he, wait, wait, sorry, what? He started the game with a negative result and at halftime, when he got substituted, he had a positive result for coronavirus. So he played 45 quick- minutes with coronavirus. How quickly do the tests come back? Well, the funny thing is, um, he got tested three days before the game and he was negative. And then they tested him. They didn't know the result, but he played anyway. And then the test came back at halftime. And he was positive. Right. Question, does that count as a, as a substitution? Do you have to include it in your subs if it's a, a COVID-mandated sub? Well, 
the game kept playing, which I thought... Um, if they kept hoped, playing? They, kept, they played the full... This was an international friendly game. This was a friendly, and they were just like, we got a COVID case at halftime. You know what? Let's keep it going. Who was the official? Razor Ray? <laughs> That's an awful decision. Stevie Wonder. Oh, no, say not Stevie Wonder. He, he's not actually blind. You know that. Yeah, I've always wondered. Him and Ray Charles, are you really blind? Yeah, blind. No, Ray Charles is blind. Stevie Wonder isn't blind. It's all a hoax. <laughs> Stevie Wonder wouldn't be anywhere near as famous as he is if he wasn't blind. Oh, it's some exceptional marketing. He is a very good singer and a very good pianist and harmonica player. Yeah, but I mean, you ask the average guy on the street, what do you know, best know Stevie Wonder for? It's the fact that he's blind. Yeah, same with Ray Charles. I, I couldn't name a Stevie Wonder song. Ah, oh, because he's too busy listening to Nickelback. Mate, do not make me get the list of Nickelback's best lyrics. We're not bringing up Nickelback. On to the next point. And I'm sure you were across this because this is, uh, this is the Collingwood of rugby, New Zealand beaten by Argentina in the Tri Nations. Very exciting. Did you just did you just compare New Zealand to Collingwood? In the way that everyone hates them, yeah. Are they also attempting to get rid of all their good players? Maybe after they lost it. Argentina. I mean, Argentina are a rugby union powerhouse. Everybody knows that. Yeah, I'm, I think Leo Messi took the field. <laughs> gave him a few kicks they got they got i didn't watch the game or anything because i um rugby union is not my preferred sport but they new zealand got dressed down apparently this was a convincing win uh well i mean as with collingwood just funny yeah oh that's all that's all i brought it up for i i have no insight into the matter i just like to bring up that New Zealand lost to Argentina for the first time in 35 years. That's delightful. You love to hear it. Um, in the MLS, the playoffs are around the corner. I wanted to get your opinion on, the, on this. MLS, the Major League Soccer in the US, um, which accounts for 22% of our listenership. How do you feel about out of the 26 teams that 18 make the playoffs? Sorry? 18 out of 26 teams in the MLS make the playoffs. Like in primary school when everybody gets a participation ribbon. <laughs> 18 of 26. 18. I, I, was, I was floored. <laughs> <laughs> Jeez, it'd be a bad year when you don't make the playoffs. Well, that's the thing. There's like three teams that miss out and then the rest of them are just fucking COVID listed. <laughs> Oh, how'd you guys go this year? Oh, we made the playoffs. Oh, so you had not a bad year. Oh, no, we came 18th. <laughs> Fucking everyone makes play- And what's more confusing about the MLS is they have, um, unlike most soccer competitions, it's like what they do in the basketball. I think they have an East and West. Basketball, baseball. They split. It's very American. For soccer, it's very American. So in each conference, nine of the 13 teams makes the playoffs. Isn't that wild? Just imagine being the four teams that miss out. 
You have an incredible percentage to make the playoffs. Yeah, but I mean, making the playoffs would feel hollow, hollow if you get eliminated in the 17 v 18 match. <laughs> That's very true. Um, next up point, also close to our US listeners, Miami Marlins hired general manager Kim Ng. First woman hired as a general manager in professional sport. Just put that in there because that's quite a landmark. Not in professional sport, in professional male sport, maybe. Hmm. Yeah, professional uh, male sport. See, the uh, ex-coach of the Aussie Diamonds has applied for the North Melbourne coaching job. I have no idea who that is, but I love that. I can't remember her name. She's been knocked back, but she applied. Um, you reckon they're going to be winning she, in the AFL? Yeah, probably, but not one that has no experience in an AFL system. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, the, uh, I, just keeping us with the US for a minute, because I assume you're not going to go here. The, uh, the Masters finished this morning in the golf down in... I didn't catch or, it. I saw um, Augusta, on Georgia. Saturday, Rory McIlroy was T51, who was your pick. So um, mm. didn't make it. Yeah, Rory McIlroy did did not win. Just looking through the results here, he uh, look. It's fair to say he's had a nightmare. Tiger Woods on one hole, hole this morning had a ten. That's numbers like us. <laughs> on, whole, whole, three, whole three I think he, he had a 10 he was actually doing pretty well before that he uh, what he finished tied for 38 at one under what's the, what's, the, week. What's the par three in Bunningong is that, uh, is that 12? 12 the so what nine's up 10 nine, yeah it's 12 <laughs> yeah that, that's the sort of numbers I get on 12 Par three. You'd see, you'd see me hit it all the way over the back and then all the way back into the bunker and all the way back in. Four tries on the green. Uh, now we need to play golf again sometime. But no, so Rory McElroy, well off the. Oh, no, tied for fifth, actually. 11 under for the week. So it did all right. But um, Dustin Johnson got the win, 20 under through the four rounds. So American continues his, his very good form. Uh, Cam Smith. The uh, Melbourne Storm captain. Everything. Uh, different Cameron Smith. Different Cameron Smith, but is Australian. Finished tied for second at 15 under. Jesus. That's a <laughs> far good, off. Good, good effort. No, good effort from the Aussie boy. And he becomes the first player ever at the US Masters to shoot all four rounds under 70. Ah, oh, that's that's as we do in Bunningong, mate. He was. Yeah, we go under seventy on the first two holes, maybe. <laughs> um, no, but four rounds in a row in the sixties for the first time ever by a player at the Masters, which good for him. Bad. He didn't get the, didn't get the win, but he does get that recognition. I love that Aussies in golf. Who's your favourite Aussie golfer all time? <laughs> Ah, uh, see, I'm too young to ever see Greg Norman play, so I'll go Adam Scott. Yeah, it's um, about you just at, at the Aussie golfers I know. Yeah, the uh, Jason Day is not bad. Um, 
but no, at the time where I was a, a very big golf head around 2012, 2013 was when Adam Scott was challenging for majors and then finally won the masters in 2013. So I, uh, I was always an Adam Scott fan with his big, long, ridiculous putter that he anchored under his chin. <laughs> um, and the last note that I've got for worldwide news, we're bringing it back home. Cam Smith. Um, well, the golfer. No, uh, the rugby league player who just went came second, <laughs> came second in the Masters. Man, it's been a it's been a big year for Cam Smith. It's been a big year for Cam Smith, and it might get bigger because uh, Cam Smith has revealed that there is no way he will re-sign with the Storm if the club lose um, other hookers, <laughs> Brandon Smith or Harry Grant. <laughs> just the term other hookers. <laughs> Is so juvenile. Uh, yeah, well, no, he um, he's unemployed for the first time in his adult life, I think he said, because 2021 contracts have come out and he hasn't signed one. Yeah, uh, he's rumoured to head up to the Gold Coast. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't he's know. Uh, releasing his autobiography today, I think. Uh, you won't catch me in the bookstore for that one. No, yeah, you're more of a Kindle man for your rugby autobiographies. Yeah. <laughs> no, I prefer the um, <laughs> I prefer prefer the audio book where um some dude who can't speak three words in a row and will speak it to me. Jonathan Brown of audio. Um. Oh, mate, some of those Melbourne Storm players have impossible to pronounce names. It would be worse than most audiobooks. <laughs> oh, good. Um, well, yeah, nice. that's all I've got for Worldwide News. <laughs> what do you think? Is going to make a comeback next week? We'll see how we go. I didn't hate it. Um, because yeah, we'll see, we'll see what feedback we get from the listenership. <laughs> but basically it was like I had a list of shit that I wanted to talk about and it wasn't enough for the last call that we could have a good discussion about it, but it was shit I didn't want to talk about. Like that halftime corona case is hilarious to me. And the fact that they kept going on with the game. <laughs> they kept playing. Which was wild to me. <laughs> it's like, yeah, I got tested for corona at halftime. It's like, oh, well, everyone get the fuck off the field. It's like, no. We've got another 45 minutes of this inconsequential game to play. <laughs> we need this friendly to continue. If that had have happened at a soccer game in Melbourne, Daniel Andrews would have shut the, the, the state down for a decade. <laughs> he would have killed everyone. He would have got his fucking army out in the streets. With their, the police drones to make sure people aren't having a good time in their backyard. <laughs> that, when, when that got brought up, that was, um, that was the moment where I was just like, this is very 1984. <laughs> this is very... You live in an Orwellian world. The very dystopian future. Uh, Fahrenheit 451 style. <laughs> oh, no. The burning of the books. <laughs> if you've got your Kindle out in front of you, just having downloaded Cameron Smith's autobiography, <laughs> let Fahrenheit 451 be next. Literary genius from Ray Bradbury? Yeah, sounds about right. He was on the... Uh... Mid nineteen eighties Australian cricket team, wasn't he? Uh, Does that not know. sound like a cricket player, Ray Bradbury? I, th 
I think his son was Australia's first ever gold medal winner at the Winter Olympics. Ah, <laughs> uh, God, that's some awful humour. Good on Steve Bradbury. Uh, We're going to do a deep dive into Steve Bradbury's 2002 Winter Olympics win. Yeah, I'll, I'll give you the deep dive. He managed to stay upright. <laughs> he stood. There you go, dive over. <laughs> All right. Uh, hit me with a list. Uh, we're jumping into the list. Not be over yet. Five seconds to go. Oh, we bounce. 13. 15. Can you believe it? He's kicked 13 on the siren. Ah, oh, what a call. I see best. it, but I do not believe it. And that's coming up later with Ash's multi. Look at that. Look at that. Just between segments. We're getting smooth. We're getting just really, really professional. Yeah, uh, mate. We'll be on. We'll be buried in the uh, afl.com.au podcast. At least that's we'll something. be syn- syndicated soon. <laughs> Archie will purchase it. There'll be our yep. two and a half hours of content. It will take seven hours to get through with all the ads. Oh God! <laughs> I don't know if I don't know if you caught any of Trade Radio, but. Did you know Moana Hope is about to have a bar with her partner? No, I did not. Uh, mm, she's very interested in car seat safety now. Uh, as I heard 872 times in the two days that I listened to it through the wing. <laughs> this is like when I listened to, um, I listened to ESPN FC, um, American soccer, <laughs> American soccer thing. Did you know? Geico can bundle your home and car insurance. <laughs> you just hear the same ads all the time. You're like, shut the fuck up. Oh, I don't know if ads are like targeted or whether they're the same and everything. But every time I watch a video on YouTube now, I get an ad for DD, which is like an Uber competitor. Yeah. And then I get one for DoorDash, where it's got the guy with the most annoying accent ever. And he goes, don't worry about dinner. <laughs> <laughs> I hear that ad like 45 times a day, legitimately. And it just gives me nightmares. Don't worry about dinner. All right. We started off this segment very... Uh, we've, we've accidentally put ads into our non-ad... And we've ad- devolved into um, free advertising. So we're going to start off with the list. Um, this is not a necessarily ranked list, but the draft is coming up December 7th. And I've put some hard work and a bit of effort into scouting the top five prospects um, of this 2020 draft. Now, this is the top five prospects that are in the open pool because uh, the consensus number one at the moment is our boy, Jamara Ugelhagen, who is a Next Generation Academy nominee of the Bulldogs, I believe. I think that would be correct, yes. That's what what pick do they have? And that's that's gonna come onto my last uh, wall. Th- thirteen, I think, currently. Thirteen! <laughs> thirteen! Um the whole next gen shit just shits me up the wall. But anyway, we're gonna start. A Victorian midfielder. Will Phillips coming in at one eighty and seventy nine kilos. So I'm gonna I'm gonna give you <laughs> the the player. His uh, stats, what he's good at, and a comp 
just so everyone knows <laughs> what kind of play we're talking about. Could I also request maybe, uh, given that you've watched a little bit of them, a couple of clubs that you think they might be good fits at? I sort of play that a particular club might value. Can absolutely do that. I'm going to pull up the, because these are the consensus top five guys. So I'm going to look up our li- uh, draft order. <laughs> and it's Mate, if, 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 if you're coming for Cal Toomey's job, you need to be able to put it, be put on the spot, practical advice. Yeah, that's right. This will be your, your afl.com.au trial. All right. Tooms. Let's go, Tooms. Cal, if you're listening, be scared. Cal, if you're listening, I'm probably older than you because you look 15. (laughs) 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 Oh, goodness, Cal. (laughs) Yeah, take that, Cal. All right, Will Phillips from Victoria. Um, He's quite small, 180. uh, What was I making? 5'11", 79 kilos. Um, tenacious, great, great with the one percenters, not a great distributor by foot, but he is a, he is a ball winner. He is an inside mid. He is a dog. Um, very quick hands in packs. Um, very good awareness when in packs, um, and great game IQ. I am going to put this on you as well. And I'm going to ask who you think he reminds you of. Um, everything except for his non-elite disposal screams Sam Mitchell to me. He is quicker than Sam Mitchell. I did note Sam Mitchell, but I think he, um, is a lot, um, (laughs) has a nicer size to him. Sam Mitchell has never been the one for pace. Yeah, that's true. Um, so my comparison is a 2016 Libba. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I haven't seen him play, so I'll take. Yeah, no, that's fair. <laughs> but that kind of just like tenacious inside inside midfielder will beat you. The player that I used to hate playing against because I am uh, a fair weather footy player, and these guys used to come in and just beat the shit out of me, and I couldn't <laughs> couldn't keep up. I used to be a no-weather footy player, so that's probably worse. Uh, so that's Will Phillips from Victoria. Next we've got Denver Granger Barris, a tall... Sorry? Denver? Denver. Name's Denver. As in the city? Yeah, Denver, Colorado. Well, surely his nickname would be Colorado as soon as he lobs at any AFL club. As in uh, John Denver, country singer. Uh, wait, did we get a club you think Phillips would be good at? I, I, it sounds, and I don't think Adelaide will take him, but I think Adelaide are in need of a bit of spark inside the midfield. Bit, um, of, a, bit of a crouch replacement. Yeah. And also, I wouldn't hate him at Fremantle. Like, Fremantle, like obviously, all these guys are going to go maybe top seven, depending on, like, people yeah. might fall. Because um, some of these guys have lingering injuries and obviously the Victorian boys haven't played. Um, but I like them with um, midfields that, as you said, Adelaide have lost Crouch. Fremantle, I feel like don't really have 
<coughs> that much of a identity in midfield other than Nat Five. I feel like he'd be a good complementary piece to Nat Five, and it yeah. probably end up leading to less injuries for Five. So, so and allow Five to play forward, where he would be a genuine first class full forward centre half forward if he wasn't required in the middle. I, I absolutely one hundred percent agree, and Nat Five would be a ten times better player, and I feel <laughs> if he had the chance to sit up forward like Dangerfield does, because I feel like they're on similar. Similar playing fields. I personally like yeah, Fife better. I think Fife's a better mark and a better kick for goal. Yeah. And it, um, it's just a shame he doesn't get the chance. Yeah. Imagine if lock, the Lockie Neal of 2020 was still at Freer. Yeah. Jeez, they fucked the bus on that one too. Mm. Um, having said that, uh, if he manages to slip to six, Philip seems like the kind of guy that Essendon the big bodied inside midfielder. Like I know he's not. I know he's not. He's not tall, but um, I know any kegs for 180 is solid. Yeah, oh, he's uh, he's uh, he's the type who's built like a fridge. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. De- Denver Granger Barris, boy from WA, tall defender. Um, he's 195. He's only 78 kilos. So I've listed. He's a bit slim. Yeah, so light, lighter, lighter than the bloke 15 centimetres smaller than him that we just yes. discussed. Um, he's got a great set of hands. Uh, doesn't spoil often. He's a good kick of the footy, great facilitator out of the back line. He's got good lateral movement and at the moment from what I've, the footage I've seen of him, um, he's a great third man up, which I like because he's not um, big enough yet. So I'm inviting you for a comp. Uh, well, to me, and I might be biased because I am an Essendon supporter, but that all of those descriptors scream Jordan Ridley to me, who I know is only 22, but he did win our best and fairest and was just dominant all year. Tall, slim, great intercept mark, elite disposal. Yeah. Really good lateral movement. He, um, yeah, if he could get another Jordan Ridley this year, that would be a big asset for any club because he is going to be a star. He's going to be that sort of Harry, Harry Taylor player for us for the next 10 years, I think. Yeah, no, I had um, I had a young, well, I had Harry Taylor or a young Daniel Talia because uh, Daniel Talia coming out was tiny. And <laughs> now he's just kind of big. Um, Daniel Talia got great hands. Um, he's an okay yeah. kick. I feel like he's Daniel Talia with a good kick. And that's the, that's the problem I have with um, the AFL comps is they do a one-for-one comparison. I feel like, you, like obviously, you can't compare one for one because obviously there's only you know one Denver Granger Barris, so you've got to have yeah. ex, like extra uh, conditions or a mix of players kind of thing. That's true. But having said that, if I think if you had taken Daniel Talia with a top five pick, you would be disappointed with how he's turned out. Like, he's a good footballer. I don't think he's a, an elite footballer in the same way Harry Taylor has been for 15 years. Yeah, but it, it depends what you're after. I feel like there are some positions where you take a top five pick and you want your danger fields and you want your fires. But, like, if you could, like Daniel Talley is a career solid backman. Like, if you get 20 years out of Daniel Talia, you get 20 years out of... <laughs> he almost reminds me of, like... Not 
any of these players, but like, you know, Mal Michael, who just like sat up the back, he was solid. He didn't do anything flashy, but like you could rely on that player for 10 years. That's true. He also provided me with just about my favorite ever, definitely favorite ever defensive AFL moment. And I think we've talked about it on the podcast before, but it's worth mentioning. When Mel Michael got the ball 35 metres out from the defensive goal and turned around and kicked the goal to Russia behind. Oh, my goodness. I lost it at the TV that night. Back when uh, rush behinds were actually a thing. Yeah. Pre-Joel Bowden and Hawthorne 2008. Brent Guerra. Yeah, <laughs> that was pre-goo. Um, pre-goo and pre-goo's new hair. Before his hair plugs. His hair hat. Um, good fit at where? I'd love him at Hawthorne. Um, we've just, we are, we are in the, t- we've got a number four pick for the first time in 16 years since the 2004 draft. Problem uh, is Clarko doesn't like kids, so we won't play him for six years. That's true. Um, but we've just lost Frawley and Stratton. Um, and I know we oh, brought Stratton, in, I forgot the... we brought in Hardigan, but like, <laughs> which we didn't mention in, in the first episode, but Hardigan is not the answer. I don't, I don't think Hardigan, Hardigan requires mentioning, to be honest. Well, and that's the thing. Like, he's a warm body to put back there, but, like, what have we got? We got Frost. Sicily's not going to play next year. He tore his ACL halfway through the year. Um, we've got CJ. Um, <laughs> like, we are bare in the cupboard. So I would love him at Hawthorne. Um, I think if Sydney got him, he'd be a solid um, third third back, um, considering they just yeah. lost Alir Alir. Without Alir, that's a good call. Yeah, yeah. Um, he's a bit thin at the moment, so I, I don't think I'd put him with. He's definitely a project player, I think. So I'd put him on a rebuilding team. I don't think a um, like a more established side would get him. Well, let alone would be able to, because if they hypothetically, if they were to be able to get him, I reckon that's the sort of player that would suit Richmond pretty well, to be honest. Because they've lost Rance, like obviously they've got someone in Bolter, but Grimes would be what, thirty. Are you sticking him 30. in? Are you sticking him in that team though? Maybe not initially, but I mean, big bucks normally take a while to develop, and if he's um, can sort of fight this year, sort of work his way into the side by mid next year, then Grimes probably retires at the end of the year, especially if they win another flag. What is Grimes? Am I missing something? I mean, I'm possibly wrong, but I would have thought Grimes would be around the same age as Rewalt, no? Uh, 29. 29? So when's his birthday? Uh, July. Oh, so he'll be three in mid next year. Same birthday as Jordy Taylor. Shout out to Jordy Taylor. Taylor. Yeah. Two days after you? Yeah, very correct. Uh, who's in the Thank middle? You. Brad Givens. In a 15. There's a name I haven't thought of in a while. <laughs> Brad Givens. <laughs> and I'm pretty sure uh, Tucker was on the 17th, I think. I was on the 17th. Who? Uh, Tucker was in March, wasn't he? No, Fitzy's on the 17th. Fitzy's on the 17th. That's what I'm thinking of. Fucking Tucker's, Tucker's January, I think. Mate, that was a deep pull. 
That was a the March. The March. Yeah, we're about to get deeper. <laughs> the March ones is Leroy's the day after yeah. me, and Lindsay Mann's the day before me. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'll always remember that. Uh, the Ginge. Check him out on Spotify or Apple Music. Yeah, check out Ginge Mansion. <laughs> we have to edit this out. I'm not giving a plug to Ginge. <laughs> All right. Note to editor, which is uh, me potentially hung over tomorrow, depending on how much I drink. Edit this shit. I was, uh, I was listening to an interview with Christian O'Connell today, the, the radio show host. And he said when he interviewed Paul McCartney, <laughs> If Paul McCartney would was like would fuck something up, he would just say to he would just say on the recording like, edit point one, edit this out, and just like do his own edits in an interview he was being interviewed in. <laughs> just like live editing while being interviewed. You'll love to see it. Uh, All right, we're on to number three. How did we get to Brad Gibbs? <laughs> we're talking birthdays. Ah, sixteenth uh, of July. That's yeah. okay. Um, but yeah, no, I think he, I think he works at Richmond. But I mean, he's obviously not getting to Richmond, so it's a moot point. Yeah, that's true. I think, I think it is um, <laughs> a bit of a moot point. But yeah, there are there are a lot of teams who I think would like him. I think I'd like him in Hawthorne, but we have a lot of projects going on at the moment. Um, I think Clarko's got his hands full with a lot of. <laughs> oh, that's sad. Clarko's got a handful with a lot of kids at the moment. <laughs> It's like Cam Smith's not, not, not coming if they, if they get rid of the hookers. Um, this podcast could very easily be called Moot Point. <laughs> oh, goodness gracious. All right, we're going on to number three. Edit point. <laughs> number three, Elijah Hollins from Victoria. 188, 85 kilos. Um, he had a torn ACL at the start of the year, um, but Victoria didn't have any footy, so he's had full recovery over the 12 months. And um, I listened to an interview with him uh, and Cal Toomey. To- 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 um, it's looking like his recovery is good and there is unlikely um, for reoccurring injury in the knee at this point. We'll see when he gets into the AFL. Um, he is a bull. He's a bull. He's got very good strength on the ball. Very strong hands. Um, he's a bit of a mid-forward, um, but I see him best on like a half-forward um, as a link player. He's got, <clears throat> he's got good dynamism around contests, and he's a good spot-up kick. What are his stats? As in uh, height-wise? Yeah. 188, 85 kilos. Okay, so he's a tall midfielder. Yeah. So yeah, I've got him as a tall, uh, tall midfielder, medium forward. Um, I invite you for a comparison. Um, uh, what is he? Eighty-eight kilos. So he's probably eighty-five kilos. Eighty-five. So he's probably around a Jack Gunston size, is he? Kinda. Um, Jack uh, a little but, bit if, but if he's more of a more of a bull, maybe like a, a Dunkley or a um, probably no, he's not as tall as someone like Fife. Um, yeah, no, I'm not sure. I I think Dunkley's about 188 and 85. Yeah, Dunk, Dunkley's bigger than I thought he was. Um, I had him uh, compared to Petrarca, 
just the way he's um, uh, yeah, that's a good call. very bullish around contests. He's very strong. Like, I don't know, he's playing against 18-year-olds, but he looks like a man amongst boys out there. Um, and he's got a lot of... He's got very good size um, on him for an 18-year-old. What is he? 6'3 and 85 kilos. Like, he will hold his own. And he's got good hands. Um, yep, yep. That's, I, like uh, him, I like him as a... Yeah, like a rotational midfielder. Like, start him, start him on the half-forward kind of thing and bring him into the midfield when you need a bit of... Dynamism, um, yeah. almost Crips-like as well. Obviously, you're probably too early to say he's as good as Crips or Petrarca, but Crips is that sort of bull, pretty good size, pretty solid. There's a there's a lot of players who are like that, and I've <laughs> like you've got your Bonts. Bonts is pretty big. Crips is big. Um, Fife, Dangerfield. Uh, arguably, I think the like midfielders. I don't think ever used to be like that. I reckon the um, the one that sort of established that as like the ideal inside midfielder's body is almost Josh Kennedy, Sydney Josh Kennedy. Sorry, do you mean the Hawthorne Josh Kennedy? No, <laughs> he was awful at Hawthorne. No, he was good. Clarko just he didn't wasn't awful. Play. He was a kid. Yeah, because he's a kid. Clarko doesn't like kids. And he wanted to play Brad Sewell instead. But yeah, no, I get what you mean. Like um, big-bodied inside mid. Um, Josh Kennedy wasn't really the forward but he was that big body yeah that's true from himself yeah, around, but, um yeah he's he's another one of those um big body mids who can go forward and kick a goal he's got a good leg on him so um i like him to north um is he good enough to attract their number two pick assuming they still have number two yeah i think so like he's well like I've basically gone to the AFL website and gone, who are the top picks? Um, so they think these guys are going to go top seven. Like, and if they slip, it would be um, like a steal. Um, yeah. I mean, for the up. first time ever, the, the AFL journal or the journalists' opinions are probably pretty, pretty similar to what will occur on draft night because they're all operating off the same information. Like there's been no footy this year. Well, that's the thing. Um, I'm operating off the same footage that um, everyone else is, and I'm just some scrub who does his research while sipping an almond latte at a cafe. Like, we're um, operating off the same footage. Yeah, I reckon they're probably all sipping almond lattes at cafes, but the difference is you started Wednesday. They started October last year. <laughs> Mate, they started when he was um, when they were operating at under 15s interstate carnival level. Yeah, well, that's true. I mean, got to earn the, the bickies somehow. Yeah, that's true. All right, pick two. Now, the top two prospects, I am going to go off the top. Essendon need one of these players. Essendon need to go up in the draft and draft one of these players. Yes, so, I, I assume that... One of them is going to have the initials LM. One of them is going to have those initials. Um, number two, and this is obviously no particular order, um, but Riley Philthorpe, a ruck slash key forward from South Australia, 200 centimetres, 100 kilos. Jesus. He is a unit. Um, for a very big man, he's 
very two-footed and very versatile. Um, he's got good mobility off the jump. He's got surprisingly good footy IQ. He is a fantastic tap-down ruckman, which had me confused because when I read the AFL comp on the AFL website, they compared him to Tom Lynch. Right. Who isn't much of a ruckman for me. Um, like, he can, but, like, my comp is big boy McAvoy if he was really good up for Um Yeah, I mean... And my sources are telling me he's going to go number one anyway. So again, probably going to be a moot point. But um, I'm not sure Essendon need another really good young ruckman. We've got Draper. Like He's a good key forward. Like he is a good key forward too. Yeah, but like if he was at Essendon, I think um, he probably, depending on whether he wants to play forward or ruck, because he probably only plays 20 or 30% forward if he's at Essendon. Uh, Sorry, in the ruck. And he would be almost exclusively a key forward. So if he, obviously he has played ruck and if he likes playing ruck, he's probably not a great fit for Essendon. But having said that, 200 centimetres jet, yeah. solid, would be a fantastic key forward in Essendon. But, but. Um, I like him for the number one pick, to be honest. I like him in Adelaide. He uh, grew up supporting Adelaide. He's an Adelaide boy. It makes sense. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think I think he goes to Adelaide, and by all accounts, he will. I, I honestly, right now, couldn't tell you who Adelaide Ruckman is. Yeah, well, it's not Sam Jacobs anymore. That's for sure. <laughs> the thing of like he's a Gino. <laughs> um, no, he retired now, didn't he? Ah, oh, didn't I think he re- think he retired at the end of this year. Probably. Um, who is Adelaide Ruckman? Um, as we speak, Riley O'Brien. <laughs> Oh, it is too. The guy that tweeted out that he thought Nick Nat was slow and soft because his phone broke and then Nick Nat gave him a phone. That's funny. That's good of Nick Nat. I mean, Nick Nat didn't pay for the phone. Telstra gave Nick Nat the phone to give to him. Yeah, but that's still funny. Okay. It was funny, yeah. He's a good that's system. why I know Riley O'Brien. All yeah, right. Yes. Number one, um, you've alluded to him before, Logan McDonald, tall forward from Western Australia. 196, 85 kilos. Comfortable as a big forward. He's one of the better prospects coming out. Um, in years, he's got Velcro for hands. Plucks him from everywhere. Um, he's very athletic for his size. He ran a uh, six and a half minute two kilometer, um, which is lightning. <laughs> Although I was listening to... Um, something and one dude ran two kilometers in five and a half minutes, which is fucking insane. Um, But my comp, and you'll love this former Essendon player. He gives me shades of Scotty Lucas. Oh, Scott Lucas. See, when you were going through all that, all I could think was Scott Scott Gumbledon, Scott Gumbledon. (laughs) You're probably going to go number two. No, here's... um, (laughs) Gives me shades of Scott Lucas because Scott Lucas was always very, like, sneaky athletic off the jump. Like, I feel like um, Scott Lucas as a lead-up forward was very um, quick off the mark. Um, And he's a decent facilitator, and I know he's not left-footed, but he is a booming right leg. Is his opposite foot painted on like Scott Lucas's was? 
<laughs> I, I did not see him kick with the left foot. And does he have the potential to kick seven goals in the final quarter and still not win this game for his team? I, which, I watched those highlights because I was like, does he really remind me of Scott Lucas? And then I got in a uh, Scott Lucas highlight rabbit hole and I was like, yeah, he does. Um, what was my other note? Yeah, he's also really, um, he's really athletic. And I, this is why I brought up why I hate one-for-one comps because AFL.com um, had him as a comp with Nick Rewald, which is fine. But like, I don't think Rick, uh, Nick Rewalt was like a... Rick Newalt. Rick Newalt. Um Like he was, for me, just like, he was always up on the wing. That's how I think of Nick Rewalt. Yeah, he was a lead-up forward instead of just a, like a big Velcro hands forward. Because I was about to say Ben Brownish, but that's the same. He's um, Ben Brown's a, a really athletic, but he's a lead-up forward. He doesn't have those Velcro hands. Yeah, no, this dude has like one, like pluck him hands. Like he is... Would you describe him as Lance Whitnell-esque? <laughs> Lance Whitnell. He's, he's what um, everyone wanted, and by everyone I mean Mitchell Dodds, wanted Levi Casbolt to be. Oh, so he can't kick? <laughs> no, he can. That's the thing. <laughs> Levi Casbolt can pluck him from anywhere, but Levi Casbolt can't kick. This dude can kick. He's a... Sort of almost like Jack Darling-esque? Yeah, Jack Darling, but bigger. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Like, he is a he is a true and true he forward. Yeah. No, I, I would be happy if Essendon packaged up seven and eight or six and eight or whatever it took um, and traded up to number two and got him. Yeah. Like, I love... Especially, I love- especially if we were petty and pissed the Bulldogs off first and bit it on... <laughs> Yeah. Mr. Hagen. Hugo um, Hagen. I love the fit at Essendon. I low-key like the fit um, if he somehow slips to Gold Coast. Him and uh, the King. You think? He's I not mean, the reason, I like the reason Peter. The reason Peter Wright didn't... Um, or what, wanted to leave the Gold Coast is because he couldn't get a game because he was behind King and also Sam Day. Like, their big athletic forward stocks are pretty good. He's probably a better fit at GWS now that Cameron's gone. Boy, that's a fair shout. They have two or even Sydney. Even Sydney. Because, I mean, I know Buddy's still contracted for another couple of years, but has barely played in the last 24 months. I don't know. I love Buddy, but I don't think he's done nearly enough for Sydney for the um, what they've paid him. But Yeah, so, I mean, it d- depends how you... And I've had this conversation with many people. It depends how you would um, define, is he worth it? Because he did take him to, what, two grand finals. Um, they really should have won one of them. They probably should have beaten the Bulldogs, to be honest. Oh, yeah. That's um, the way they were beating all but, them. I mean, with the amount of money they've paid him and the investment they gave, like, he, they haven't won a flag. So, it's hard to say it's been a success. I don't think it has been a success. Um, but then there's also, like, the, um, the media exposure and, like, the, his star power in the Sydney market where people didn't really care. Ah, oh, it was definitely so, I think it was an AFL engineered move for sure. They tried to get him to GWS first. They did, yeah. I remember I was in um 
in New York, I think, <laughs> on a school trip. And I remember when that news came through that he'd gone to Sydney instead of GWS. And I had a full-on argument in Times Square with Matt Hamlin. Because <laughs> I was telling him he went to, he went to Sydney. He's like, oh, you mean GWS? I'm like, I fucking don't mean GWS. He went to Sydney. And he just refused to believe me because all the mail had been that he was going to GWS. Yeah. Um, last point on Logan McDonald. Um, another fit I'd like. I'd love him as a replacement for Ben Brown at North at number two. Yeah, and I think that's going to be Essendon's biggest obstacle in being able to uh, bundle their picks to get up there. Yeah, um, because if North need him, there's no way they're going to trade the Essendon unless yeah. they're the, the farm. But at the, Well, I mean, it would be the farm because it would be pick six and seven or pick seven and eight or pick six and eight, whatever the combination is. Yeah. We're not giving them all three, but it would be two of those. So they, they would go from one pick in the top seven to two picks in the top seven. Yeah. So it just probably depends. And I mean, of the five players you've listed, I think you said three of them would be good fits at North. So it it would depend on whether they think like they could possibly get two of those three players if they let McDonald go. Yeah. No, that's fair. Like if, they thought, if they thought they could get maybe Mr. Colorado and I can't remember what the other one's name is, or Phillips maybe. Yeah. If they thought they could get two of those, but if they thought that was going to be the top five and by giving up McDonald, they'd miss out on all those five, they probably don't do it. Yeah. Uh, I think like at best one of them slipped past. Um, Toomey interviewed uh, Tanner Braun, who's a, who would actually like at um, North. If, if North get six and eight and they can get like Granger Barris and Braun. Like, I think they'd be doing all right. But that's the thing. Like, do you think... (laughs) And that's the question with a lot of the clubs in the top four. Do you need just one potential star player or do you need to fill holes? I feel like North need to fill holes, especially what we said in the first um, first section where North are just bleeding players. Yeah, and I mean, that comes down to individualist analysis of, like, your specific club's needs. Um, Objective analysis of, like, how quality each of the players are. Because, obviously, if the top seven are all pretty close together, then giving up pick two for pick six and eight isn't that bad. But if there's a clear top three and then it drops away a little bit, then you probably keep pick two. So I think it, it... Depends on the circumstances, and that'll be up to their list management. Obviously, not their coach, but their footy department to figure that out for themselves. Yeah, that's a fair shout. And that's a list. Um, Do we want to jump straight into the rant? Yep, hit the sting. All right, let's do it. Dear Mr. President, there are too many states nowadays. Please eliminate three. I am not a crackpot. I want you to get up now. I want all of you to get up out of your chairs. I want you to get up right now and go to the window, open it, and stick your head out and yell, I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore. Wait, give me something that's... Hell yeah, Ash's rant. Let's go. All right, Jim. Uh... This week's rant is less of a rant. I mean, 
too good a mood. I just finished uni forever. So instead of a rant, we're just going to take a bit of a trip down memory lane and sort of uh, analyze Collingwood's 2020 holistically. So I've, pr I've prepared a little bit of a timeline for you. And at the end, I I'd just like to know if I've missed anything. Because there's been a bit going on. So rather than a rant, just take this as a sucked in Collingwood. <laughs> All right, we will start in January of 2020. Collingwood president elections. Eddie Maguire runs unopposed and re-elected for the 30,000th year. Also in January 2020, the Collingwood social media team, PR team, is delighted to announce that Brody Grundy has signed a seven-year deal repeatedly worth, uh, reportedly worth upwards of $7 million. Jesus Christ, I don't remember that. $7 million. A million dollars a year over seven years. Consequently, Brody Grundy barely gets a kick for the entire year. Sucked in Collingwood. Uh, we'll travel forward a little bit past the onset of Corona into the discussion of what should happen to players found to be breaching protocols. Eddie comes out and calls for extremely harsh penalties for anyone caught breaching, says it's too important to the fabric of the game. We need to really bring the hammer down. Suggests a, at, at a minimum, a $100,000 fine or a season-long suspension for anybody caught with the slightest breach. June 2020. Steel Sidebottom found blind drunk wandering the streets in his underwear and taken home by police, having committed numerous COVID breaches, caught an Uber went to somebody's house that wasn't in a bubble, got so blind drunk that he couldn't control his own faculties. <laughs> Other rumours about what he may or may not have done that we won't broadcast here, but it's fair to say Steele might have been a naughty boy. Good call. Cops a four-week suspension, no fine. Mr Noble Eddie Maguire describes the punishment as... Quite harsh. <laughs> While Collingwood itself in an official press release <laughs> slams the ban as excessive and inconsistent. Four weeks. Must have been a different Eddie Maguire with that one. Oh, you know Ed would never be a hypocrite. <laughs> one month later, coach... Nathan Buckley and assistant coach Bretton Sanderson also caught breaching the hub conditions, sneaking out playing a game of tennis with somebody they were not supposed to, being very naughty boys. Find $50,000 with half of it suspended, so they had to pay $25,000. A quarter of what Ed described as the absolute minimum. <laughs> And again, no, no, nothing to be seen here. They thought they were doing the right thing. Meanwhile, Connor McKenna went to a house inspection, falsely tested positive, that was quickly reversed to a negative, and Ed wanted him deported. 
the same week, Jordan Degoe, star player that they have just sold the farm for to keep, charged with sexual assault. Yikes. Fast forward, well, October 2020, embarrassed by Geelong in a semi-final. Did not show up until halftime, really, and it was all gone by then. Then we get to November 2020. Force out Adam Trelaw, Jaden Stevenson and Tom Phillips, all against their wishes, all players that dearly love Collingwood and wanted to stay. Sam Edmund reported the reason uh, for the Trelaw trade, reported that Buckley had told him on a phone call that the players wanted him out. Buckley came out and publicly lashed Sam Edmund on Twitter and said, these are absolute lies. You've made all this shit up. Which then, after having been traded, Trelaw confirmed was 100% the truth. And Buckley had said that to him on the phone. Oh. Didn't even have the decency to call Jaden Stevenson and tell him that he was being traded or that he should look for a trade or that they didn't want him. Not just Buckley didn't have the decency to call him. Not a single person from Collingwood called him. He had to call Buckley himself and ask what was going on. And then to cap it all off, once the trades had happened, they'd been forced out the door, public backlash started. Collingwood decided they would blame Adam Trelaw's partner, Kimmy, for the situation saying her deciding to return to professional netball and live in Queensland away from Adam was a legitimate concern and they have every right to essentially sack him for her decision to go live in Queensland and follow her career. How dare she? She should be hung. She's a witch. And that caps off my possibly new favourite segment on this podcast, Sucked in Collingwood. <laughs> Maybe we'll just turn the rant into Hey, Collingwood, suck your mum If the sting for, I mean, I do like the Grandpa Simpson sting But if I could have an outro sting for this segment That was just Stephen Quartermain yelling Zaharakis over and over again on Anzac Day That would just be fabulous I'll make it happen Make it happen <laughs> Alright, it's oh, That, that I finished exams for the last time ever this week and that was the most fun I've had. That was the most enjoyable time I've had this week reading all that out. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Well, we're about to jump into something a little more tedious. We've got Ash's multi. I don't believe it! I see it, but I don't believe it! Which I'm going to hazard a guess. Didn't get up this week? Our last week's did not get up, no. Uh, one of the legs got up. Only one this week. <laughs> yeah, only one. I was, uh, who was on? I was on Rory McElroy at $12, tied, tied for fifth. I was unlucky. Um, at the New South, we were on New South Wales in the uh, state of origin. That did get up. Hmm. We were on the Mumbai Indians. No, sorry. We were on the Delhi Capitals in the IPL final. That didn't get up. And uh, we're on the Packers to beat the Jaguars by more than 13 and a half points, and they did not. 
I watched that game. That was fucking awful from the Packers. Did they just not cover the line or did they lose? No, no, they won, but like they didn't cover. They won by four points. Yeah, it's not good enough. It's really not good enough. It really isn't. The good news, though, this week's certainty. (laughs) No, no, no. See, I say this every week and it hasn't got up. So I've decided to not lie this week. Every leg is under $2. All right. And who are we betting we are, again? We're, we're, uh, Ladbrokes. Sponsored by Ladbrokes. We are on the favorite in each of the four legs. It cannot lose. Are they just like head to heads too? As a result, it's paying a little bit less than last week's $67. <laughs> but it will get up. All right. So put the house on. I would first like to say that there's not a lot of sport on. So we're sort of scraping the bottom of the barrel in relation to what we're putting in the multi. Sure. But it doesn't change the fact that it's, it'll get up. Certainly. We're going back to an old faithful from last week for the leg one. New South Wales in the state of origin decider. Queensland shocked them in the first game, but they've come back the Blues. They're ready to uh, disappoint a 51,500-strong Maroon crowd on Wednesday night. And at $1.44, they are the safest bet of the week. Damn. Uh, leg number two, we're on the Arizona Cardinals to get within three and a half points of the Seattle Seahawks, who have completely and utterly shit the bed. They really have shit the bed. As in, get in three and a half. Or win. Either way, or win. Well, that's a good shout. That is a very good shout. At the plus three and a half. So, as long as the Cardinals don't get beat by more than three and a half. That's a field uh, goal. That leg's Dollar eighty-eight. Lock it in. Decent shout. This is where the multi starts to deteriorate quality-wise. Sure. We're on the Karachi Kings to defeat the Lahore Kalandas in the Pakistan Super League in the cricket. <laughs> now, I know we probably haven't heard of most of the players playing. There's no Steve Smith. Uh, but Karachi are in good form. My insiders in Pakistan tell me they'll win. I've done some extensive research into the PSL this week and Karachi are the, just the greatest things going. They'll win the title, let alone beat the, the, the Kalanders. Is Shakib Akhtar playing? Uh, it, no, it's not 2003. Mate, that sounds like a retirement um, league if you ask me. He's still throwing out 160 to an hour fastball. But at a dollar uh, no, sorry, dollar eighty, get on Karachi. All right, let's go. And the fourth leg is a sport very, very close to my heart. We're going to the Grand Slam of darts. (laughs) Yeah. We're on the Aussie boy, Simon the Wiz Whitlock, to defeat Ryan Searle at $1.70. All up, the multi's paying $8.28 and is a sure thing. I'm surprised Ladbrokes haven't paid out already, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, as, as I said, not the not the best quality. We're we're in the Pakistan Super League and the Grand Slam of darts, but uh, it'll win at least. So there's that. The Pakistan Super League sent me for a fucking loop. 
Jesus Christ. Mate, I haven't I haven't heard of those cities in ages. Fucking hell. Lahore. I believe, I believe Cameron Smith. Quite a fan. <laughs> oh goodness. Alright. Um, where where do we go now? Alright, I reckon we're up to oh, my. All right. Ash has got the Who Am I this week, and I'm very excited because I am up on the Who Am I. It's a pretty easy one to be up on. Ah, very good. You'll love to hear it. I, uh, so we've got five points all the way down to one point. I would be disappointed if you didn't get it at three. Yeah, right. All right, number five for five points. I was born in 1972. And I played 207 games across 11 seasons at two separate clubs between 1994 and 2004. Only played for 10 years. 11. 94 to 2004 is 11. Ah, 11 included. All right, next one. Uh, I'm a two-time premiership player, one at each of my two clubs, as well as being a best and fairest winner in 1998. And making the All-Australian team in 2000. Uh, <laughs> Best and fairest winner. What did you say? All-Australian the year after? Uh, two years apart. 98 and 2000. 98 2000. And two-time premiership winner. All right. Next one. In addition to playing at the two clubs, I've been involved with two others in some capacity. I was once shortlisted for the Melbourne coaching job, but was ultimately <laughs> beaten to, to the punch by Dean Bailey. Goodness. Fuck, I don't remember that far. Um, Dean Bailey, when did he coach? Fuck, that was dark times in Melbourne, wasn't it? Um. All right, so he didn't play for Melbourne. <laughs> Two teams, eleven. Uh, what'd you say? Eleven seasons from nineteen ninety four to two thousand four. So we're gonna go a bit of history for the listeners. Winner in ninety four. We got West Coast, then Carlton, then North. Then Adelaide, then Adelaide, then North again. That was a Jason McCarthy game. Yep. 2000 was Essendon. Then you got 2001 to 2003, Brisbane, 2004, Port. So all the teams you could have played for. And out of all those teams, this gentleman played. For two of them, and then lost a coaching job to Dean Bailey, which is the low light of that man's career. That is correct. <laughs> Question. The two premierships. I, I don't have to answer it, but go on. That's very true. Did he play the two premierships on the same team? I can answer this question because it was already in a clue. No. He did Separate not. clubs. Separate clubs. 
Uh, fuck. Next one. As a player, I was known for my toughness and uncompromising nature. Something I've instilled in my players since becoming a head coach in 2009. Ah, oh, fuck. Um, it's one of the Scott brothers. I think. One of the Scott brothers. Brothers play for North, I believe. Chris. Chris Scott. Incorrect. Ah, fuck. All right, next one. I have a 58.1% win record and was AFLCA Coach of the Year in 2017. And I am thinking. And and this thinking might get cut out. <laughs> it was funny when I was editing the first Who Am I? And it was just all <laughs> big caps, nothing. And it was just a... 58.1%. So that's his career coaching record. It's his career coaching record. One AFLCA. Ah, oh, Dimmer. Ding, ding, ding. We have a winner, finally. Well, I mean, you did, you did guess wrong, but... but. That's true. Essendon and Paul. Um, that is correct. Yeah. All right. Um, yeah. I, I, I thought that was easier than it was. That's good. He really, he really lost the gig to Dean Bailey. Yep. And then lost the Essendon gig to Matthew Knight's. Fucking hell, that's rough. Yeah, that the Melbourne thing is a bit of a curveball because he was never actually at Melbourne, mm. but he interviewed at Melbourne. Yeah, right. Obviously, he was assistant at Hawthorne and then now Richmond. Yeah. Yeah, right. There you go. Yeah, that wasn't bad, actually. That was, that was, that a, was a good one. one. It did cross my mind, actually, when I wrote that um, toughness and uncompromising one that it, it kind of sounded like one of the Scott brothers. But I don't yeah, think they played at any club other than Brisbane, did they? Brad coached North, but... I thought Chris played somewhere else. Um, I'm going to look it up. up. Um, at Fitzroy. <laughs> he played for the Brisbane Bears. He did play for the Brisbane Bears. <laughs> yeah, that's two clubs, yeah? No, I don't think Brisbane Bears and Brisbane Lions counts as two clubs. Uh, Brad Scott... Brad's got played for Hawthorne. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Another. In the 1997 year. All right. We're going to jump into players I haven't thought about in a while. Ash has absolutely fleeced me in this game. Um, so I'm. Do we have a running score or are we just, just going Ash is winning? Well, we're going Ash is winning because I'm winning the, uh, the who am I? So. That's true. Yeah. All right. All right. How many names have you got? I've got four. I've got three. Yeah, okay. I'm, I'm still worried I may have gone with one of these last week, so we'll see with the first one. That, that might be the opportunity I need. Are we still doing double points if it's somebody that played for your club? Yeah, I reckon. All right, good. But do you want to start or will I start? I, I will start. Okay, I will you offer start. you Mark Seabee. 
It's written down. <laughs> it's on my list. Fuck. Oh, God. I thought Mark Seavey was going to be such a good call. Same. I saw his name come up this week and I was like, that is fire. No one's thinking of Mark Seavey. I didn't even see it come up. I was just thinking of obscure players from teams. I was at West Coast. Ah, oh, Seabs. Ah, <laughs> oh, that's, that's incredible. Well, that, that's a zero for both of those. That's phenomenal. Um, I think that's going to happen uh, more when we, um, when we keep going with this and we're going to come along. Yeah, this, this game's going to get harder and harder. Very good. I'm excited. <laughs> um, okay, so the next one, I believe, played at Hawthorne and Essendon. Danny Jacobs. You brought him up in the first week. I, I thought I'd. So I was looking through. I was looking through my phone, and I, I found a note that just said Danny Jacobs. And I looked through my notes for the last two shows, and he wasn't there. So I thought maybe I didn't go with him. But all right. So that was the risky one. All right. So this is the point where I'm going to edit from the first episode, and I'm going to say <laughs> I'm going to bring along the. <laughs> 30 second clip of Danny Jacobs and me being like, oh, Danny Jacobs. But I have thought that, that could just Jacobs. that could just become the sting for this segment. Danny Jacobs. Danny Jacobs. It's me saying Danny Jacobs every week. <laughs> yeah. All right. My next one. Oh, no, I want to save that for last. Kyle Cheney. Oh, yeah. Uh, well done. Adelaide and Hawthorne? Adelaide and Hawthorne. <laughs> he was the first player that came up when I was playing um, AFL Pro Evolution 2017. He was the fullback. Oh, at, Kyle Cheney. He was the fullback at Adelaide. I'm like, I haven't thought of Kyle Cheney since Clarko tried to put him in the midfield and get him to tag Dale Thomas, and we lost by 75 points. Oh, no, that's good from you. That's uh, very good. Um, who have I got next? So Mark Seabee's out. Uh, Jed Adcock. Oh, no, I haven't thought of Jed Adcock. Fuck, that's a good shout. The North boys. Yeah, he played, yeah, played for the Rebels. Oh, he did too. He, no, he didn't play for North. He played for Brisbane, but he came from North Ballarat. Oh, he was a number seven. Yeah. Fuck that! He was part of that. Um, yeah, that late, like mid thousands, um, Brisbane team. Yeah, the, the little, yeah, yeah, the one dominated by Jonathan Brown and Daniel Bradshaw. Yeah, good shout. All right, my last one. <laughs> one that I haven't thought of in a while, but I I watched his highlights and I was like, I miss this guy, Michael Ferrito. Oh, it's fun. Uh, no, I did. You, I was watching like greatest AFL temper tantrums. <laughs> and it's like Barry Hall oh, did, complaining to the umpire after he decks Brent Staker and like Brian Taylor like shaking a fist in the umpire's face. And there's one of Michael Frito just absolutely abusing the umpire. <laughs> <laughs> He's like... I'm pretty sure he just, the ball came into a marking contest and he punched it straight up in the air. No one else touched it. And then one of the opposition guys grabbed it and the guy paid a mark. And he's like, what are you talking about? I... That's big so, no, you're, un- you're unlucky. That was a couple of weeks ago. That's all right. Um, so, 
for my last one, I'm going to throw out St Kilda legend. Risky, I've gone for a legend. Clint Jones. Oh, I haven't thought of Clint Jones. Fuck. No one's thought of Clint Jones. Clint Jones's mum hasn't thought of Clint Jones. Did he? Why did I think he play for Sydney at some point? No, you know what I found out when I was researching him today? Mm. After he left St Kilda, he was one of the Essendon top-up players. Oh, no way. But only in the NAB Challenge. He, he got sacked from being a top-up player before the main season started. That's how awful he was. You're trying to tell me he couldn't get a gig over James Gwilt? Oh, you've reached more territory that Dad would throw like a rock through the TV when he came on the screen. He said, I'm not watching Essendon if James Gwilt's in the team. Mate, uh, that's, that's, a pod, that's next week's podcast is diving through the... the uh... Yeah, give me a top 10 of Essendon's top-up players. <laughs> That'd be a great shout. That was a fucking... That was a moment in AFL history. Oh, it was a fucking longer than a moment if you're an Essendon fan. Ah, that was... Wait, was that, was that the... Um, was that the same year you guys beat Gold Coast? 94 points in the first quarter, or was that the year after? No, that was years earlier. That was the year we were on drugs. That uh, was 2012, I think. Ah, uh, that was you were on drugs, I see. Yeah, yeah, that was that was a hurdy year. Kyle Remus. Oh, there's one I've wasted. Kyle Remus! Kyle Remus kicked like four goals in the first quarter. <laughs> um, no, I just remember that year that we had top-up players, I thought we wouldn't win a game for the year, and we beat Melbourne in round two. Yeah. We were one and one. I think we were in the eight. That was the most Melbourne thing ever, I remember. Because it was like, Essendon is so bad. They've got James Gwilt as their fucking halfback. <laughs> and then Melbourne going yeah. loop. I'm like, yeah, that's very Melbourne of you. I remember talking to Dad about that season. He's like, oh, no, we'll probably win one game in like round 17 or round 18. And then we were one and one. It was like, well. Finals, here we come. And then we lost our next 15, I think. Yeah, as you should. That's I, f- I feel like that was the point. Yeah. But anyway, but no, that's a it's another win for Ash. I think just two one. I I think we're um <laughs> with Mark CB cancelling each other out. That's a great. That was that is good stuff. Uh, that is very good stuff. All right, we ready for the last call? I am ready for the last call. Last call, bring it on, Ash. What you got? Um, not a great deal other than uh, just for continuing on, on from our conversation last week about the Australian cricket team and how we might line up this summer. Um, indications have come out so far that we're going to persist as an opening batsman with Joe Burns, who's made like 55 runs at an average of 10 in the state league this year over young Victorian opener Will Pekofsky, who's made 520 runs at an average of 260. Mm. Which, I mean, it's ridiculous. As a selection policy, you tell players that just beat the door down so much that we can't ignore you. And then a player does that. And then you say, oh, we don't want to, we don't want to mess with the, the current formula. Like at a certain point, you have to stop 
well, no, you have to just reward continued success. Like Pukowski made 260 not out yeah. and then 230 or something stupid. And they're still not going to pick him because of team synergy or something like Well, I've got an article here on Fox News uh, penned by Adam Gilchrist. And we've got, at the same time, Burns averaged 11.4 with only one score above 20. However, weighing in the Queenslander's favour is, is the success Australia has enjoyed with him taking on the new ball. Well, yeah, but I mean, and they cite the average partnership and stuff, but people forget that David Warner made like 340 in a test last year. I think the average of the, of their opening partnerships is slightly skewed. And I mean... Yes, Burns may be serviceable in an Australian context, but he just isn't good enough. Like, he's not not going to be the future of Australian cricket like Pukowski could be. And it would be much better to get Pukowski exposure against quality opposition. Like, India are probably the second best side in the, in the world behind us, have the best fast bowler in the world. But get him experience against that quality opposition in conditions that might be favourable to him and might be able to help him sort of establish himself and get that confidence up instead of throwing him into a series where we're struggling in England or in India where it's really difficult to bat at. Yeah. Like, I understand the logic of not wanting to mess with a winning formula, but it's also a little bit of do maintenance so it doesn't break rather than wait till it breaks to fix it. Yeah. Um, did he, did he get at least picked for the side though? Because one of my one of my things listed here is Pukowski and Green got picked for the side. Yeah, yeah, they're both in the squad, and I mean, ninety five percent of the Australian public, I think, would prefer to see well, public that know and has been following it would prefer to see Pukowski in the side than Burns. Um, but indications have come out from the coach and the captain that they think. Burns will at least play in the first test. But even the fact that they're messaging about that, that they're saying, oh, I think he'll play in the first test at least, indicates that, like, if Burns fails, they're ready to drop him and bring Pukowski in, which I think is, like, a mindset where it's like, yeah, well, we want Pukowski in, but, I mean, we have to be fair to Joe Burns. And I don't think that's the right mindset to have if you want to, main, like, create and maintain a winning if your messaging is play well at the lo- play so well at the lower level that we can't, don't ignore him when he does what he does. Yeah, no, exactly. And I mean, it's not as if Pukowski's knocked the door down and Burns has been serviceable. Pukowski's knocked the door down and Burns has been dreadful. Yeah, and that's what I was saying um, a couple of weeks ago when we were talking about this um, Australia, the selection committee picking on. Um, pedigree versus like actual, um, what's the word I'm looking for? <laughs> like, performance. Actually, yeah, performance and outcome because there's not more you can do to um, put your name up for the test selection than average 200 a game. And especially on home turf, like Pekovsky is a Victorian boy, I believe. He is, yeah. Well, I mean, that's not home turf, though. Because the, uh, the first test's in Adelaide. 
Yeah, but e- even that, like, we're, it's not like we're playing on, um, like, most... I feel like most... Um, and correct me if I'm wrong, because I have no fucking idea. But Australian pitches are quite hard. Yeah, they are. They're hard and fast. I mean... Um, but that's the other thing. The ones over there haven't been in. So, like, there's a, a currently a state hub in Adelaide. All the games are in Adelaide. Yeah. Um, so, it's not as if, the, like, Burns and Pukowski are batting in different conditions. They're playing in the same state on mainly the same pitches in the conditions that the first test will be played in. Yeah. Um, I, I just can't see how... I know, like, you don't want to mess with a winning formula, but I don't think that's been key to the success <laughs> of, like, the, the test team. And cricket's, cricket's one of those games where, even though it's a team sport, it is quite individualistic, especially batting, because, like, <laughs> well, yes, interactions with your batting partner are important. They're not as crucial as, like, teamwork and stuff is in games like footy and soccer and rugby. Yeah, like I haven't watched too much cricket in the past couple of years. Um, but what you said before is like average batting partnership. But if Dave Warner's averaging 200 a test um, and then Joe Burns is averaging 50, obviously the average partnership is going to be high because Dave Warner is... Yeah, but if, I, like, if it's, you have both it's, of them averaging 200, like what's wrong with that? Yeah, and I mean, average partnership isn't add up the scores of the two and divide it. It's average that the score is before the first wicket falls. Sure. So it's not quite as skewed as that, but like I think it is a little bit skewed because Warner, Warner is so dominant in Australian uh, condition. I just would have thought it is as good a time as any to give him some exposure. Like you always want to get young players into a side, whether it's AFL, whether it's cricket, whatever sport it is, you want to blood that next generation. Mm. And it, I think it's important not to do it before they're ready and do it for the sake of, oh, well, I've got potential. But, like, it's not just potential anymore. He is knocking the door down. He's 22. He is the future of Australian cricket. It's in Aussie conditions. It's going to be a slightly weakened Indian team because Virat, who's just about the best player in the world, is only playing the first test. Why's that? Oh, his wife's going to give birth in... January, I think, ah. or late December or something. He's, he's going home to be there for the birth of his child, which is very fair. And because of um, quarantine and hubs and stuff, he can't come back. Yeah, yeah, no. For the next test. So he, um, but yeah, I just think everything points in favour of playing Prokofsky and it doesn't appear like they're going to. Yeah. And, but even worse than it doesn't appear like they're going to what it looks like to me and listening to their messaging sort of sounds like they're going to play Burns in the, the first, first test, test. Al- almost hope he fails and then drop him. Yeah. And I think if that's going to be your attitude going in, just play Picasso from the start. Yeah. 100%. Um, um, I just found an article on um, cricket.com.au where it says pain backs Burns over Pukowski for the first test. But it also, it also outlines that Bukowski and Burns are going to open together against Australia, A. Eh? They are, yeah. But, like, um, again, again, it's one of those things. Like, 
I think regardless of what happens in that match, they're clearly not picking it on performance. So that sort of is irrelevant. If the way they're going to pick it is like prior, like past performance in the Australian side and chemistry with David Warner, like I, I don't know what the threshold is that Pekovsky has to knock down to displace Burns. Like if Burns makes, if Burns makes a duck and Pekovsky makes 300, is that enough? Because, I mean, he's already made an extra 350 runs than him for the Shield summer, and that's not enough. Like, Have, have you watched him play? Like, what's his play style? Because, like, I feel like Dave Warner wouldn't mind, because I know Dave Warner's quite, like, a gunslinger type. If he lined up against, like, with another gunslinger, like, that'd just be fun to watch. No, I think Warner needs somebody to make a measure. We, weirdly enough, he's like most successful opening partnership was with Chris Rogers, who was like the nerdy Victorian opening batsman. They're just like really slow, very methodical. He's like you. Just he's like me. <laughs> and mate, he was a very, very successful <laughs> Australian opener for a number of years, and I could have been too. He's, he's wow. the five for 128 not out kind of thing. Mate, you have to have different players. Everybody has to play their role. Um, but no, honestly, Pekovsky's pretty similar to Burns. Like, not ultra defensive, but not as aggressive as a Warner. Pretty well balanced. Um, ability to attack, ability to defend. And I mean, Burns is a good batsman. I like Joe Burns. I just think Pekovsky could not possibly have done any more. And to not reward him... I don't think it sends the right message. <laughs> I think it's a blight on the um, AFL, uh, AFL, the, on the AFL system. The yeah, cricket, fuck you, girl. The cricket test selection, because as you said, there is not much more Will Pukowski can do other than, you know, um, cure COVID to get into this test team. Yeah, and it would be an interesting... Obviously, the selectors would never answer it genuinely because that's how these things go. But it would be interesting to sit down and, like, if they would answer you honestly, say, all right, currently, are you favouring Joe Burns? Yes. Will you pay any attention to this um, Australia A match where they're both batting together? Yes. How much does Pekovsky need to outperform Burns by to tip the scales? Like, it would be interesting to know whether that's a legitimate factor or would it be like because you can make 300 not out burns can make a duck and it's not going to matter. Cause I think if that happened, if Pekovsky made heaps of runs and burns failed and they still didn't pick him, there would be uproar. Mm. Um, so yeah, it would just be interesting to know where that line is. Yeah, no, I agree. Cause like he's, he's um, like, I don't follow cricket that, that much let alone state cricket, and he is the best thing since sliced bread and Brad Hodge in Victoria. So, um, And just as exciting is Cameron Green, who's also in the squad but hasn't quite done enough to knock the door down like Pekovsky because yeah. he's he bowls like 145 k's an hour and is like an opening batsman type like uh, talent. He's a regular Shane Watson. No, he's... Well... Based off potential, he's closer to Jacques Callis than Shane Watson. Whoa, we love a Jacques Callis. Jacques Which, had uh, three, didn't he? He did bat three and yeah, quite yeah. often played as just the fourth bowler. Like, he was that good. Yeah, no, he was very good. Um, 
And Cameron Green obviously is only 21 and is a little bit injury prone, but if they can get him right, he could be that good. I'm, I'm liking this uh, uh, uptick in talent in the Australian cricket team because I feel like we've been... I'm sick yeah, of see, that's, pain as our that's the That's the... Or, but that's the thing. Tim Payne is still the best wicketkeeper in the country and is probably one of the best captains in the country. His batting just struggles a little bit. Mm. But if the, like the six batsmen above him were so good that that didn't matter, then it wouldn't be an issue because he's still he's a dynamite behind the stumps. He's a pretty good captain. He's a very good ambassador for Australian cricket. Can you fit... Can you fit all this talent in? Theoretically, Burns. Can Pukowski bat for? Yeah, he, he hasn't been an opener until this season. Mm. Um, the problem is there's a bloke that bats at number four called Steve Smith. Who bats three? Marnus Labashane, who was also a recent yeah, right. revelation. Yeah, right. Like there is, so if Warner's the opener, Labashane's at three, Smith's at four. Travis Head has just made back-to-back centuries, so you're not getting him out at number five. Sure. Um, Matthew Wade's at number six. He's been in pretty good form. Uh, good enough form to keep his spot for now. And then Payne and then uh, Stark, Hazelwood, or Stark, Cummins, Hazelwood, Lyon. The bowlers are pretty settled. Um, Warner, Labashane, Smith, Head are pretty settled. So I think the two spots up for grabs now are the opening position and probably Matty Wade's number six. Yeah. And not immediately, but going forward, I'd like to see the order read Warner, Pekovsky, Labashane, Smith, Head, Cameron Green at six, Tim Payne, then Hazelwood, Cummins, Stark, Lyon. I, I think that's a very, very good test team. That's a, that's a good balance of youth and... Um, test experience like as obviously there are reservations of having kids come in because they've never played tests but also by that measure kids will never play tests because you will never give them the fucking light of day absolutely and that's the argument for Pekovsky now because like other than probably that spot the rest of the side very very experienced like Lubbershane's not that experienced but he's just a jet. Warner obviously has been around yeah, forever. Smith is next captain. Payne is the captain. Matty Wade's been around forever. Travis Head's played enough cricket now um, to be experienced. And then the bowlers are all very settled. So, yeah. I mean, we'll wait and see. I hope they have faith in Pekovsky, but it doesn't appear like they're going to. You reckon, um, what do they play? Five tests this summer? Uh, four, four this summer. Four. You reckon if we... They were, they were supposed to play a fifth against Afghanistan, but that's been cancelled because of COVID. Which is a shame because it would have been our first ever test against Afghanistan. It's the first time I've uh, thought of Afghanistan having a uh, test team. Yeah, they, um, they've got some pretty good uh, T20 players. They're a, they're a reasonably good T20 nation. Like... Um, you probably don't watch any of the big bats, but Rashid Khan is a very, very good leg spinner from Afghanistan. Um, Mohamed Nabi is a pretty good player. They got they got some good talent Afghanistan, but, but yeah, right. They they only just started playing tests, I think, and this was going to be their first ever test against Australia, played in Perth. But I don't mind not, that. Not I like the uh, the up up and coming country type. Mm. 
so that's probably it on cricket for the last call. What have you got? Um, I wanted to talk about, and the head the headline for um, this is what the fuck is AFL recruitment? Um, I know we're getting <laughs> back to AFL, but I really have a bone to pick with how the off season works because I've had my piece on restricted free agency. I think it's quite a flawed system. Um, but I mainly wanted to touch on the draft and the, the, like the Academy prospects and how people get priority over the new gen Academy just cause I don't know, like, um, like I listed out the top five prospects, but Jamara Ugelhagen is, um, consensus number one. Do you know why he gets to go to the Bulldogs? I, um, I think the rationale behind the academies in general, and I assume he's no different, um, but I think the rationale is getting uh, incentivizing investment in those academies and stuff, especially for um, like all the concessions for like indigenous communities and then like players from other sports. And it's just all accessibility incentivization, I think. Yeah. Um, okay sort of trying to level the playing curve for those people that otherwise might not be able to find their way into those pathways, which obviously in some situations yields probably unfair results, which is the case with Hagen because he's such a prodigious talent. Mm. But I think it's about incentivizing clubs and communities and stuff to invest in those pathways and those programs. Yeah, no, I agree. And I think um, they're making changes on this because <laughs> they saw... Um, Ugal Hagen's going to the dogs um, and a dude named Lockie Jones um, who's touted to be a first round pick is going to go like late 30s to Port because they have the um, rights on him. So next year they're changing the um, <coughs> the NGA bids to basically be able to get, to get them from 20 to 40 and then the year after is 40 plus. So basically like in next year's draft Ugal Hagen can get picked one by Adelaide or whatever. Yeah, yeah. no, I, I think it's just um, to sort of stop the situation where a kid joins a certain club's academy at like 13, 14, they put all this money and investment and coaching into him and then rival recruiters come in and say, oh, yeah, yeah they've done a pretty good job developing that kid. He'd be good on our list and poaching him. Yeah. No, that's fair. I just, yeah, uh, it, it just confused me, but... Do you, do you know anything about the drafting and the whole points loading and stuff? Uh, a little bit. And I think that was, that was mainly brought in because of Academy kids and like father, son and stuff. Mm. Cause yeah. Just to like, to, to stop um, clubs with like, say they trade away their first round pick. So their first pick in the draft is like pick 37 and the best kid in the draft is going to go to them father's son. So it's just to sort of soothe the other clubs. And yeah, say, junior, junior. All right. All right. Well, you can still get the best player for pick 37, but you have to like, I think you have to like trade to acquire other picks. And like, that's why all the picks have a certain point value and why they now allow like trading future picks and stuff. So you need to accumulate enough picks to be able to justify spending pick 37 on the best player in the draft. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to read from this article because I was doing some research um, on 
Hawthorne's last year's father-son, uh, Finn McGuinness, who was a was the son of Hawthorne greater. <laughs> I say great. Mr. McGuinness. <laughs> no, Sean. Don McGuinness. Um, so AFL regulations prohibit clubs from trading their future first round pick unless they have a second, third, fourth and fifth round pick. Also, clubs can't trade their second to fifth round selection unless they trade their first round pick. Um, yeah, it's, it's it's just confusing to listen to. I was listening to the uh, Hawks trade podcast and they um, journalist Mark McGowan had on Graham Wright and I was listening to him just try and wrap his head around all the picks. And I, I just think it's an overly convoluted system. Like I the feel AFL overly convoluted. Don't be silly. <laughs> like when did this shit happen? And why isn't it just like, why can't pick one just be pick one kind of thing? It's such an like, it's such an old head thing to say. It's like Grandpa Simpson yelling at clouds kind of beat. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but like, I I get um, if let's say in the future, um, oh, actually that's a good question. If Oscar Judd became a great football player, who would have the father son rights over him? Uh, he played a hundred at both clubs, so both of them. Okay. To pick. The- theoretically, um, let's say Oscar Judd uh, had father-son rights at West Coast, but Oscar Judd is a top five pick, and West Coast are at twelve. I like the idea of father-son. I I like how it keeps um, players in the um, like team law, almost like the Danahers. Um, Don't use that as an example. I was going to say it's he a bad just off because he just left. But also, <laughs> like the Ablets. No, oh, he left too. Um, the McGuinnesses. Yeah, the McGuinnesses. Um, but like, if you want him, go up and get him. If you think he's that good a player, go up and get him. Like, I I appreciate the sentiment that father son has, and I like how um, the next gen academy brings in those. Um, what's the word I'm looking for? Like rural and disadvantaged areas. But like, if the kid's a number one pick, let him get picked at number one. Yeah. I mean, it's probably another one of those things that is tradition and it probably is probably a remnant of a time where uh, players were predominantly one club players. Like, I don't think it's as relevant in these days. Lots of players change clubs after like six or so years. Yeah. Well, Gary Ablett was the greatest player of all time at Geelong. And then his son came and then had a holiday on the Gold Coast for a bit and came back. Like money, money, money. Hey, he got paid his money. That's fine. But like, you can't, you can't argue in this. um, Like obviously what we're saying before the Danaher's have um, such a history at Melbourne, uh, Melbourne and Essendon. Melbourne. Uh, not really, Melbourne. Neil did coach there, but they're they're yeah, Essendon, mostly yeah. Essendon. Um, but yeah, and then Joey's just like, nah, I'm good. Like, yeah, in- it's just right. one of the it's one of those remnants of like the romanticism of footy, which is that slowly slowly being eroded. I mean, we're never going to going back to a day ground. <laughs> you don't think so? No. Possibly Twilight, but. 
I think the halftime show was too good and the ratings were too good for the AFL ever to go back. Too good, mate. We had Shepherd. Yeah, and they were good. <sighs> they were all right. Against all odds. Well, okay. They were a hundred times better than they would have been in the daytime. Oh, just imagine those gold, like those um, globes that were running around in the middle of the day. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, the, the best solution for TV and almost the fairness of the competition would be to extend the season, keep the short quarters and have grand final day coincide with Cox Plate Day every year. It'd be a good for Australia sport. I mean, it. I don't usually watch the races, but I didn't mind watching the races as the build-up to the grand final. Everything on Channel 7, you sort of cross back and forth. It helps everyone too. Like, that's a win-win for everyone. Yeah, I mean, possibly not the players that have to play 10 more games, but... 10? Well, I mean, if you were going to extend the season, you would almost have to get it to 34 games, wouldn't you? So you play everybody twice. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, 34 games yeah. is too, too much. That's it's like 18 weeks off a year. So it's not getting to 34. So. Yeah. Uh, well, I think, well, they did um, add a week just for a buy. So who knows? Who knows the direction the AFL's going at the moment? Yeah, but for fairness, you'd still have to play 34 actual games not including bye weeks or anything. So you'd be like February through November. <laughs> yeah, and at the end of the day, that's still um, like, we're not talking about five minute quarters here. We're talking like 16 is like four minutes off. the top. Like it's not. Yeah. So it's a pipe dream. It's never going to happen. But even if it's not the Cox plate, I think it would behoove channel seven to um, put something on through grand final day that people want to watch. And as, as much as it would be uh, romantic or nice to see that something through the day be the VFL grand final, the AFLW grand final, whatever, the facts are people don't want to watch that. No, so, true. like, not, so, not something that would be good for, like, the day and the spectacle, but something that people actually want to watch and then we'll, they'll stay invested through from midday through to 10 or 11 at night, like the Cox Plate was. Yeah, betting, betting on horses. It doesn't have to be betting, but facts do show betting on big horse races like that does attract viewers. Yeah, it does. Mate, we have a national holiday for... Oh, not a national holiday. We have a... Not a national, a Melbourne holiday. Yeah, but it's still a holiday to watch um, the horses run around a track for three minutes. Yeah, imagine explaining to somebody from overseas that Mel- two of Melbourne's public holidays a year, one of them is for a parade the day before a footy game and the other is for a horse race the last three minutes I mean they have fucking Thanksgiving so I think yeah but Thanksgiving is more of a genuine occasion than grand final parade day yeah (laughs) but I feel like you could break down any holiday and be like what is this actually for We've, we've strayed so far That's from the true. path of God. Um, from the path of God. You got another point you want to get to? Uh, 
just a quick question for you because I've got no idea. What has happened to Seattle? So um, their line isn't good. Um, Russell Wilson has had a bad couple of weeks. Um, and they've just played good teams. Like their opening set, what are the, I think they started five and zero. They were very lucky to be five and zero. So their five and zero form line was similar to Essendon's six and two form line this year. <laughs> yeah, and it's one of those things where um, they've had a couple of bad weeks, um, and they're in a very tough division. Um, the NFC West has a their worst team is five and four, I think, or four and five. Um, juxtaposing that with the uh, team in the NFC East, their best team is three, five, and one. So, Jesus, yeah. <laughs> so, um, which really calls for reseeding of the divisions, but that's something for a later topic. But I think they'll be fine. I think they'll sneak in. Um, the NFL ha- now have a seventh playoff team, so they've expanded the playoff um, teams by one in each conference. I think Seattle will be fine. How many NFL teams are there? Uh, so there are 32 NFL teams and 14 make it to the playoffs now. Uh, so not 26 like the soccer comp. <laughs> no, um, nine out of 13 teams in each conference don't make it. <laughs> um, uh, I, got, I got one more point and it's uh, nothing that you'll know anything about, but I wanted to shit. kind of test me what the fuck has happened to the Socceroos? Oh, mate, it's ever since Aloisi, it's all gone downhill. Well, that's the thing. I was, um, I was talking to a mate the other day um, about... I don't know if you watched the 2006 World Cup when we made it and actually made a little bit of a run. Oh, I did, actually. I remember getting up early before school to watch us get robbed by Italy. Yeah, 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 that, that year. So we had... Um, that, that is Viduka! The- Viduka, Kuehl, Cahill, um, Aloisi off the bench, Lucas Neal up back, Mark Schwarzer, Australia's best ever goalkeeper. Like that was a genuine golden age of Australian soccer. Most of our players were playing in the English Premier League or Serie A. I know uh, Vinny Grella and Mark Bresciano were playing in Serie A. Now our best player, our best midfielder is playing in China. Our best centre-back is playing in Israel. And our best uh, forward is the forward for Perth glory, I believe. Um, <laughs> like, obviously, talent it can be a, like... Um, talent is obviously good, but, like, what happened to the development where our best players are playing in... So, <laughs> just such bad um, Yeah, I put it to you, judging not just from now back to post that 2016, but also from before that 2016 back, that that was just an extreme outlier. That team. It was just so far above what could ever be expected of Australian soccer which is why we were competitive and probably should have won that semi-final or whatever it was. Round of 16. Quarter, quarter final, round of 16. Like that side was just so much better than anything that had come before and anything that's been seen since. And for us to compare current soccer to that team is unreasonable. Like, 
trying to compare current AFL teams to like those Hawthorne teams of the 80s. Yeah. That's fair. I th- really, really the Hawthorne team of six years ago. But oh, Mate, pick your Hawthorne team. Which one do you want? We got <laughs> decades of them. Um, yeah, that was maybe a bad example. But like comparing any AFL team now to the, the Essendon team of 2000. Or, yeah, sure. Or really for, the dynasty's further back when like conditions were different. And it's just never going to happen again, probably. Yeah, no, it's it's... I just wonder um, because, like, I obviously that was a moment that kind of stopped the country. Like, and you think, like, after I watched that, I was like, I want to play in the Australian soccer team. That'd be fucking sick. Like, where where did the development stop? Yeah, and it's one of those things. There's probably not enough investment in soccer generally in Australia. Like, um, there's plenty of investment, obviously, in cricket and then in the, the southern states in AFL and then in rugby in New South Wales and Queensland. But soccer, even though it's definitely growing in popularity and probably the generation slightly below you and I are really driving that growth. I don't think it's had enough sustained investment and just the resources really to be a really high performing sport for Australia. Yeah. No, just because... That, 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 that may change given yeah. that like it's getting more popular with the younger generations, but that sort of institutionalized investment is something that develops very slowly. Yeah, no, I agree. But um, I, I can't help but notice um, four years ago, the U S missed the world cup because they lost to Trinidad and Tobago. And now they have one of the most um, up and coming um like brighter, more talented teams in the world. Um, they've got players at Barcelona and at Borussia Dortmund in Germany. Like, it's just fun. It's interesting to think of where, like, because we were at the 2018 World Cup. We were. I watched. I went to pubs at midnight when I didn't care. It wasn't a good one. I, I think we scored once. No, we scored twice, yeah. but they were both from penalties. <laughs> That's what I remember. But there's also the possibility yeah. that like a, the USA resurgence is less of a result of investment and like development and more just a result of good luck yeah, and good players coming through at the right time. Like it's not as if they saw how bad they were and then have had a sustained period of success since. Yeah. No, I just wanted to bring that up because I miss when Australian soccer was relevant. I couldn't care either way yeah i know i know <laughs> but um just the winter of 2006 held dearly my heart i still have the um the jersey that i bought the 2006 <laughs> the world cup kit all right two questions for you yeah well, actually three three questions um first question in context what is the greatest goal ever scored in an international by an Australian? Uh, for Australia. For Australia. For Australia. Um, uh, it's hard to go past Aloisi's penalty, but that doesn't really count. Yeah, um, no, I, I'll, I'd accept that as like a contextual, because that's the one I was thinking. Uh, Tim Cahill. Technically and stunningly. Yeah, that was um, Tim Cahill's header against Japan. And his volley against the Netherlands. His volley against the Netherlands is genuinely one of the best goals of that year. 
like just in all soccer, but like contextually for Australia, I think it's John Aloisi and then Tim Cahill against Japan because that was Australia's first ever goal in a World Cup tournament. And then what about discarding context and just like from a pure highlight reel moment? Uh, Bresciano had a bicycle kick against... Yes. Um, You've given me the exact answers that I was thinking. I can't remember, but that bicycle kick was... That Bresciano goal is still just the greatest. Yeah, he's Um, he's a very good player. I can't remember what my third question was, so that'll do. Those were the two questions I wanted to ask, and those are the two answers I had. So (laughs) I'm glad I could... The synergy is incredible. Yeah, and that's, that's why you listen. Because we agree on the same stuff. <laughs> and if you would like to chime in on what you think the greatest goal from your country's soccer players ever have been, whether that's the UK or the US or Belgium, wherever our listeners may be, please write in. Um, that's uh, last call pod one at gmail.com. Oh, careful giving that address out. We'll be swamped now swamped by Twitter being like, can you verify a count already? And if you're a potential advertiser and you would like a spot on the last call pod, please let us know. We're definitely open to be purchased. (laughs) We are very much open to be purchased. Please, for the love of God, give us money. We will say literally anything you would like us to say for the right price which is surprisingly not as high as you would expect. (laughs) I don't think they'd expect it to be quite high. (laughs) We'll show them our podcast analytics and they'll be like, you can do it for free, right? Uh, All right. Well, I got nothing else. Anything for you? Neither do I. All right. That's that's last call. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. It has been an absolute We'll see you next time. We will see you next time when we talk about... Nickelback. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, we're going to talk about the um, 2013 Essendon team. Yeah, Essendon's best ever top-up players. Next week, please come back. 